0: For February 13th, 2017, it's the Overthinking at Podcast, episode 450. No Batman is an island. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet. We're never happier than when we're hanging out together and talking about our favorite things. This week, talking about movies. We're going to talk about the Lego Batman movie. And then, in our Oscar corner, uh, I'm going to take a uh, take a long trip to the bathroom while the crew talks about La La Land, uh, which I haven't seen, but everyone else has. So, uh, so the Batman Lego movie movie or the Lego Batman movie. I, I don't know. That's an interesting question. Would there be a difference between the Batman Lego movie and the Lego Batman movie? Maybe the Batman Lego movie is just Christian Bale sitting there in like an overhead light playing with Legos, uh, for, for two or three hours. Um, but the Lego Batman movie was, uh, was released recently and is an awesome, good time. Here is the panel of, uh, overthinkers that you have on this podcast. Uh, Say hello, everybody. We have, uh, from Boston, the punk rock correspondent to the Theory for Turntables podcast. That's Rachel D. Hello, Rachel. Hello. We have, from Boston, uh, everybody's favorite overthinker. It's Pete Fenzel. Pete.
1: Hey, that's very kind of you to say. Appreciate it.
0: You're everybody's favorite overthinker. Not just the people who listen to this podcast, but people who don't even know who we are. You're their favorite. it's a heavy burden <laughs> <laughs> from from uh from new york we have noted musical theater aficionado mark lee
2: i am a musical theater aficionado also batman,
0: you know, batman. honey and
1: lemon will take right care take good care of that right little hot tea just uh, <clears throat> uh
2: oh, oh 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 thank you what a great suggestion
0: <laughs> from boston massachusetts it's my uh, fellow co-host of the tft podcast it's ryan shealy I refuse to take off my cowl <laughs> It's uh he, he didn't want to call it a cowl In a movie what did he call it his like Awesome face disguiser or something Yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm your host Matt Rather we normally jump in To uh, a question of the week uh, For uh, This week but we're not going to do that We're going to ask one question because there, We have a chalk full uh, a, a, a chock full podcast This week and so going around the table and having everyone answer uh, a question individually just would take up too much time take time away from from uh, Batman so we have one question about the Batman movie uh, that I'd like to put to you uh, now before we do that I just want to point out that there was one other notable achievement in cinema released to uh, released in theaters this week isn't that right Pete Fenzel
1: that's correct, Matt. It was a man of single minded determination, uh who, who is uh uh unstoppable to a degree that few could ever aspire to be that's right it's john wick two john wick two john wick chapter two and i can't believe i'm the only overthinker who watched it this weekend.
0: well it's only one yeah it is a uh it there is a kind of uh uh like there's only so much pie it's a zero-sum game what what movies you watch because eventually you you'll just be watching movies from from morning till tonight subsisting only on the the butter substitute that they pour onto the popcorn and that that's not good for anyone i mean that won't get you into fight and trim to take out the the mob that killed your dog right Right, exactly or or something like that so uh uh, what what pete has done is he has recorded a podcast length commentary uh on john wick chapter two in which uh he speaks uninterrupted (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> For 40 minutes on, uh, on John Wick, on John Wick chapter two. And if that is the sort of thing that fills you with uh, an almost unbearable level of delight and anticipation, you should be an Overthinking It member. Uh, if you are an Overthinking It member, you can find it in the digital library in the members area if you are at the well-actually level or above. If you're not, go to overthinkingit.com slash join. Become a member now. Support... Uh, Support Overthinking It with a monthly or an annual contribution. And and in addition to the warm feeling of knowing that you are helping to sustain uh, this enterprise into the future, you will get some cool stuff. And among the coolest things you will get is our friend and everyone's favorite overthinker, Pete Fenzel, talking uninterrupted for uh, 40 minutes on John Wick 2. Head to the members area or go to overthinkingit.com slash join. Now, uh, when Ryan and I record the TFT podcast together, we always start with a trolling question to one another. It's designed to, uh, to make the other person have to i don't know, have to what Ryan, right? have to compromise their values, have to uh, have to like um, uh, defend an indefensible position, <laughs> to expose the essential, uh, uh, the essential intellectual and moral bankruptcy of everything that we we think and believe. Um, that, uh, this is a slightly gentler question than that but in honor of uh having uh some other tft podcasters on this i want to start us talking about the lego movie with this question is this the greatest batman movie ever is this like the pinnacle i mean of, of of the ones and they are cataloged within this movie from uh adam west all the way through uh through ben affleck um like, is this the, the truest to the spirit of uh, of Batman um, that, that we've come across? I don't know. Pete, uh, you're usually first in the alphabet when we have a question of the week. So why don't you start now that we have a question that we're all tackling together? Like, is this the best Batman movie you've ever seen?
1: Well, I would take issue with saying the truest to the idea of what Batman is because – batman is is a is a is a story of surpassings right like to tell the to tell the batman story in a way that is great is to surpass the batman story because the batman story is not that great right (laughs) like in and of itself right it's it's sort of like batman and i'm not bashing batman what i'm saying is that batman's place in the culture comes a lot from the way in which people have dealt with the character over the years and not something that's sort of intrinsic to the story of the character that would just stand out if you were just to strip everything else away, right? If you were just to strip it all away and tell the most straightforward, most by the book Batman story that you can think of, it would be so much less than so many of the other Batman stories. And so I would say that I would would dispute the, the claim that the greatest Batman movie is the most faithful Batman movie. Uh, but I will I will punt a little bit to somebody else and whether you think this Batman movie is the greatest Batman movie because I do think it is a very
2: strong contender if not number one. I'll jump yeah. in and I'll say that it's it's the greatest at least in terms of accessibility because it is the most kid friendly and I've always found it very strange to how popular Batman was amongst. Children with how decidedly non kid friendly most of the mainstream movies that've been released are. If you think about, uh, particularly the most recent Christopher Nolan uh, movies, which are exceptionally dark and complex and uh, and violent. Uh, and, Whereas and this that- film
0: is like non non lethal. Yay.
2: Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, this one is like bright, colorful, like speaks to the sense of play, which is intrinsic, of course, to the Lego side of things, um, which makes it very accessible to children. And uh, I guess to kind of Pete's point, like, you know, complicates this notion. Or, no, it, it is far from the sort of like, a, you know, a core notion of, of Batman and defining characteristics. But nevertheless, uh, because it is that, uh, becomes something uh, far more interesting and better.
3: You know, I'm going to argue this is the best Batman movie uh, because. I think this movie—it's a meta Batman movie, and it—it's a. This is like the 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 only Batman movie that really sees Batman for who he is and what he is and what like I think to Pete's point like we've all done to this character over time. I mean, if anything, this is like, this is the Batman movie we need right now in Trump's America. <laughs> because it's the only Batman movie that actually has the audacity to make fun of Batman and go, Batman is fucked up. Batman is a bizarre character. It's He's not a likable, you know, and I mean, I agree, Batman has always been dark. And, you know, I guess to a certain point, there is, there's a certain, ah, Thank you. Uh, you know, I, I've been told not to swear. Excuse me. Uh, you know, Batman, I, I think we've all you know, there's been too much mythologizing of Batman. Um, and I, I like that this movie really this movie actually s- says what Batman is and really calls out Batman on his stuff.
1: Yeah, one one slight disagreement I'd throw in is that the Adam West Batman is part of the conversation too, right? Yeah, uh, and his reference in the movie, and so which is from an era. I think I think the, the story, the origin story of Adam West Batman, is that the guy agreed to make it, but he would only make it if it was ridiculous and campy because he thought the story of Batman was kind of too stupid to tell seriously, right? It's like no, I'll make it, but it has to be. It has to make fun of itself while it's happening. Well, yeah, this Although- sort
0: of noirish, right? Like this, this kind of like uh, uh, overheated kind of. Of detective, grizzled, you know, noirish sort of sort of thing it's a, it's coupled with a guy who dresses up in, a, in tights and a cape. To I go think the
1: out. costume is a big part of what makes it ridiculous, right?
0: He, oh yeah, really? I thought yeah. he was. I thought he, he just looks badass or, or
1: <laughs> bat ass. <laughs> well, that would be my main my, my main arguments is well, what what could possibly be the greatest Batman movie if this one isn't? And one of them might be the first Tim Burton Batman movie because it credibly establishes Batman on film as wearing a big, heavy rubber suit in a way that actually sort of interests people in a semi
4: serious sort of way, which is a feat, right? While, <laughs> oh, yeah, while retaining yeah. um, lots of elements of camp and ridiculousness. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I mean I think that I mean in this kind of idea of this as a the great as a great or the greatest um Batman movie I think what's unique about this in portrayals of Batman um and correct me in either the film ones or um elsewhere in the comics if this has happened but I I think what's really striking about the character of Lego Batman and kind of Will Arnett's Batman um is that he is like you know if there are the different portrayals have a range of like kind of the um a spectrum of what mix they are of Bruce Wayne and Batman. Right, this is I think unique in that it is Batman first. Right, mm-hmm. and uh, and and he he says something um, early on when um uh when when Dick when when the future Robin uh, first uh, enters the Batcave, he goes, "Wow, Batman lives uh, in Bruce Wayne's basement." Uh, and, and Batman says, "No, I like to think uh, actually it's more like uh, Bruce Wayne lives in Batman's attic." <laughs> right, um and and that kind of coupled with, you know, in the first, it's maybe half hour, 45 minutes of the movie, he does not take his cowl off, right? It's only when reminded several times by Alfred, like, he's in a tuxedo. He's had had tuxedo dress-up party, um, which is his, like, favorite thing to do in the world, is try on tuxedos. Well, well,
0: right, and, uh, like, this is, I I think that it it engages with the history of, that, that Lego Batman engages with the history of Batman in an interesting way, and and it was sort of foregrounded for me um, by the fact that that Batman is like a hyperactive seven-year-old boy and, yeah. ha- and has to be dealt with that way by all the people uh, around him. You know, that like the the sorts of things that he does, his, his short attention span, his wanting to play, his sort of bad emotional regulation. He's, you know, he's a child, right? Um, and that like there's this story of kind of development that happens. There are two parallel stories of development. Just because, just like there are, are uh, two kind of parallel movies, one for one for kids and one for adults going on, um, and it really it really pulls off that trick uh, nicely. I thought um, one is is the the sort of the rom com story of like learning to be vulnerable and to like let people in, but then there's the the kind of the development story, and I thought that like um, I thought that the idea of all the other Batman movies, all the other incarnations of Batman uh being co-opted into this one uh with Alfred saying like no you've had this tantrum before I recognize this from like <laughs> yeah. a couple years ago and then goes back all the through the the um uh the what all the different Batmans the the verse the the Nolan verse and then back to the Adam West and, and Burt Ward uh verse uh by the way the Bat Shark Repellent is a uh, is a callback to that that film where they
4: But we got we got we got Chekhov's bat shark repellent, right? (laughs)
0: Yeah, right. Um, It turns out Batman always fighting sharks. Batman, enemy of sharks. And strangely,
1: Robin is a callback to the Frank Miller. Batman, right? Like the like the visual design of the male Robin in this movie is closest among all the Robins to the visual design of the female Robin in the Dark Knight Returns from uh, the late eighties. So, right. So
0: the the my thing was that like, do, do you remember? Well, no. In our, do you remember pictures or like learning in biology about like nineteen sixties protesters wearing shirts that said, uh, uh, "What was it? Ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny." Right. The idea being that. Like, like uh similar like uh, organisms pass through stages analogous to the development of the species, so like there 's a time in which you 're a caveman and a time in which you 're uh uh you know an evolved like homo sapiens you know um the uh, th- there was a kind of batman ontogeny recapitulates Batman phylogeny here, where it was like um where it was like this the stages in in the Batman stories from you know the '60s through Batfleck, are are almost like developmental stages that a child goes through uh, in order to you know in order to mature and grow into uh, into an adult. Batman, and that these things were being sort of allegorized in a way that made them uh, that made them seem like that this movie co-opted that history in a way that made it seem like, well, this was the this is just the development of of this character, the Will Arnett character uh, that you see, rather than being sort of parallel universes or sort of parallel uh, tellings of the story, which is, which is the normal narrative way to deal with different continuities in the kind of the the different cinematic continuities of the same, uh, sets of characters, right?
4: I think that there I think this is exactly right and there's a few uh, other kind of pieces in the movie that kind of echo this or kind of uh, underline this. One is that there's a moment where Alfred is reading a book that is like parenting your out of control child, right or out of control teenager or something like that. Um but then there is also the the you know we've talked about the batmanness of this. Um but we haven't talked about the legoness or the lego moviness um of it at all, right? The other uh the other two titles in, uh, the other two words in the title. And And I think that what makes Lego Batman um, different is a little bit, A, it does underline this kind of the childness and being a kid's film um and kind of being connected to playing with legos um that kind of this element of kind of child development and, and youth development is there um and i think that there's a way in which lego movies um and we, we talked about the um the first lego movie um from a few years ago on the podcast as well and that also right that just as this is is in a way a meta batman movie and encapsulates a lot of the other batman stories um and you know also starts with some you know fantastically meta movements r- moments right that you know it starts with the black screen you know black all great movies start with a black screen mm-hmm. um and that the lego movie also is very meta um and there's there's a way in which right legos as toys are meta toys right that there are these blocks that you then form into the thing that you play with and so it'll be interesting to see as um the lego franch- lego movie franchise um expands and continues uh whether kind of all lego movies are meta movies uh because of this, this kind of um how one plays with um with with legos and kind of there um but i, I think this lego plus batman kind of allows therefore there to be this kind of both expansive take on Batman but also this kind of realization of this as being a story about growth and development because I mean as right, Robin um, says uh, or as Dick says before he becomes Robin of like Bruce Wayne he's the best orphan of all time right? uh, <laughs> uh, he's the greatest orphan ever um, and, and there is this sense um, and you actually one thing that you feel I think by the flip side and kind of last thought before I open it back up is that You know, in kind of having the sense of these are phases, you know, the various incarnations of Batman are phases. There's also a sense that as you see Lego Batman staring at the selfie of himself with his parents um, and kind of staring into that uh, that that image, that you you almost feel the accumulation of all of the deaths of Bruce Wayne's parents, Hmm. right? Um, And that that this kind of trauma that is reenacted in every iteration uh, and that we see in every version of the Batman origins story like we actually don't see that right he is again um like like batman is the default um in in this batman um and yet that kind of that origin and that that trauma um is there not only as a single thing but as the kind of accumulated trauma of that and how that affects um an individual's kind of development and and relationships
2: yeah and there was saying earlier that this is not a dark movie like uh, the other batman uh... Movies aren't for, more for kids, but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, uh, that <laughs> kind of takes it over the top there in the, in the darkness category in a certain way. Um, but we, we, we might want to come back to some of the – you have a lot of points, Ryan, but uh, I want to hone in specifically on one aspect of the meta ness of Lego movies and you know how they have been meta so far and will probably be very meta going forward, um, which is a burning question that I have, which is does the Lego Batman movie, and by extension all future Bat- Lego movies, do they all take place within the framing device that we saw in the first Lego movie? Which, mm. spoiler alert for the first Lego movie, which is that everything essentially uh, is highly implied that it's a story that is being, you know, uh, it's all in the, the, in the mm. mind of, like, a 12-year-old child um, who was playing with Legos. Is that also happening in the Lego Batman movie?
3: I want I to uh, argue that, I mean, my inclination is say no Although I only because I think there, in that movie, a part of like, you know, it was about a dictatorial society. Right. It was about like the certain authoritarianism. So I think that was very tied to the uh, relationship with the father and the son. Right. And like kind of parent as being like authoritarian uh, over over the child. Um, I don't. I feel like I feel like I guess I feel like what I'm saying is I don't think there's like a a good purpose served for this to live in someone, in some other kid's bedroom. <laughs>
4: but what if it lives in, like, a, like, 30-year-old man-child's man-cave? Uh, <laughs> well, they say, right? They,
1: they imply it. So, like, I what I took, oh, right. I think the movie tells us, right, that, or at least the movie seems to hint, that Gotham City is one table in which Legos are being played with, right? And when you oh, go to the right. Phantom you're Zone, right. you zoom away from that table, yeah. and you see the other tables floating like mutants in Cerebro,
4: yeah. right? Oh, like, um, yeah, the Phantom right. Zone.
1: But the thing that really gives it, right, and Ryan, I think you were thinking what I was thinking, is that when they talk about the bomb in the first action sequence uh, destroying Gotham City... They say that beneath Gotham City, like Gotham City is on these thin plates, oh, yeah. and beneath Gotham City is an endless abyss that smells like dirty underpants,
2: right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and they say this, and I think, oh, this must be in some guy's basement, right, <laughs> where he has a bunch of dirty underpants and a big Batman play set, right? Like-
2: it also explains at the end why when the, you know they formed the human bridges to bind yeah. uh, Gotham City back together, it ends very anticlimatically in its a little
4: yeah. <laughs> well, I exactly. Think- and that act of kind of all of them stacking up is something that I've done with uh, with my Legos, uh, both as a child and as a non as a man child.
1: <laughs> the idea is that the different Lego sets are connected, not by the fact that they're all manufactured by the same company that has a sort of brand plan for all of them by this. But by the sort of transcendental quality right where the master builders like i think that lego batman in this movie is the same lego batman as the lego batman in the lego movie and that as a master builder he's able to sort of transcend his table and kind of go to other tables right and other people's like the idea is that if i get a batman lego i'm getting like i'm getting a soul right like i'm I'm getting like a like a being right that exists in other people's lego sets um I don't know. It's interesting, right? Like if a kid is playing with Lego Batman, another kid is playing with Lego Batman. Are they playing with the same person or are they playing with different people? It's interesting. How does it work in the Lego Hmm.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, that, I, I mean, it's a it's a it's an analogous thing to like is Frank Miller's Batman the same as Christopher Nolan's Batman the same as you know what I mean like the it's it's a sort of it's an analogous thing right like or is the is Ovid's you know story of Leda and the Swan the same as the one from Hesiod's Theogony or the same as the one right like there there are certain forms uh, and like for whatever it says about the culture our culture. Culture. for the last 100 years in America batman is one of them right like where the the mythology just just it's like the it's like the ice tray it's like the popsicle form you know of cultural production and you can pour any flavored water you want into that popsicle form of uh, of a cultural production you can pour different flavors in and then freeze them progressively to make a kind of like striated uh a striated thing which is what this seems to be the different levels snapping together like uh, Lego bricks, right, to... To form a single, to form a single unit, uh, of many different colors. But like, uh, but the, the, the process of like being a different kid playing Batman or playing, you know, uh, playing whatever it is you play, uh, just like all the other kids out there is a little bit like being a different cartoonist or a different filmmaker or a different, you know, mythological writer or whatever, like rewriting the story of, uh, rewriting the story over and over for, for time immemorial, uh, on the Wine Dark Sea. So here's a here's
1: a quandary. In the Legoness of the movie that departs somewhat from the Batmanness of the movie, and this was one of the things that made me think that maybe this isn't the greatest Batman movie of all time, because it's pretty great in a lot of ways, is that the stakes of Batman fighting all the villains are is somewhat unclear, right? It, it, there's a, it's framed in a couple of different ways throughout the movie, but we get the sense that the dominant stakes are that the villains will continue to try to destroy Gotham and Batman will continue to save Gotham because that is the play that is being engaged with, with the Legos. Mm -hmm. Right. And that, 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 and and that's sort of, so there's the two arguments, right? There's the one argument, which is that like Batman's never actually put any of the bad guys in jail and he has not actually accomplished anything. And Gotham continues to be subject to crime and horribleness. But then there's the other argument, right? Which is that like the Joker, is actually the sort of hate relationship between Batman and the Joker is really a love relationship, and the playing of the Batman game is in and of itself a good thing, which doesn't really reconcile with the idea that Batman, which which, which Rachel brought up, which I think is dead on, although I would suggest that that the Lego Batman movie might not necessarily be the... The first lego batman movie of the trump era but the last <laughs> lego batman movie of the hillary era right because they made it the anticipation that hillary was going to win and it includes heavy quoting right the whole it takes a village thing is hillary clinton verbatim mm-hmm. right? And this <laughs> right, is, right yeah wow right? this is a movie about reconciling the political right and left after the inevitable victory of hillary clinton in the presidential oh, election right where it's like <laughs> man look we love you and we know that you're really angry all the time and like you're an angry white man and you don't get along with anybody but you could be part of the family come on in right Uh, and it's like you know you're right you're right woman with an ivy league education thank you right
0: you went to to harvard for police
2: (laughs) or or yale Yale for law (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna solve problems with statistics and compassion Compassion.
1: (laughs) accountability (laughs) but but that's that's sort of the question right is is because because it, it sort of presumes in its critique of Batman that there isn't much to the sort of stakes of Batman's fight against crime that people identify with in a meaningful way, and it's mostly just sort of childlike play of sort of conflict and self exploration,
0: so, right, in personal relationships. I, I felt very. Oh, sorry, you go, Rachel.
3: Oh no, I. You know, I mean, I would argue that, like, that, like. I mean, it, are there really high stakes with all these Batman villains? I, you know? Like, I mean, it is. I mean, maybe maybe the movie is kind of saying that, you know? It, it, it kind of makes fun of some of the villains, frankly. Like, the, the number of, like, Bane jokes. I mean, like, there's a little bit of disdain in the movie for, like, some of the villains. I almost think the movie thinks that, like, there really are no stakes. Like, Batman doesn't really care about Gotham. And, like, neither do any of us, you know?
4: Well, I, I think that in connecting, I, I think that right early on, um, the kind of um, villain, the rogues gallery of of the kind of classic Batman villains, um, are like that, right? And you have the and that kind of connects both to the um, Adam West Batman um, and to the um, both the Tim Burton and the kind of later Joel Schumacher Batman's of the late '80s and early '90s. I think that there is a. Um, I, I think that when you get to the Nolan Batmans, and I think this also carries over to um, Batfleck as well, is that the st- the attempts to raise the stakes and change that is that they take elements of these characters, um, but they change the, both the character design and motivation to make them s- scan as as terrorism, right? As forms of of terrorism, um, and kind of uh, and and types of. Um, terrorism or kind of organized crime that look more like um high stakes crime now um and and i think that i mean the the movie makes that move as well but you know that there is a sense that once the kind of phantom zone is in play um that that it's been moved to actual kind of existence ending um kind of uh, threat, Um, but that's still a different kind of stakes raising than kind of, um, you know, well, well now Bane's really scary right or now you know right now the joker has um has has uh, bombs on the ferry boat right? and that gets referenced uh in the very first scene of the movie right when the joker is hijacking the plane uh and he's like oh come on he's like my plans are always brilliant um and they're like ah, they're really are they really and he's like well what about the one with the boats and they're like really um and so i, I think that this starts there with that kind of endless cycle of of hero villain play um, but uh, the way it tries to raise them i think are by threatening the idea of like you know dropping the whole play set into the abyss um and and separating everything from the other sets that it that it goes with Yeah, um, that, and,
0: but, right and it's to a certain extent it it mistakes the the nature of childhood play right by doing that because breaking like one of the great joys of playing with Legos was breaking them all when you weren't done. You know what I mean? Is like crashing the cars or or uh, or something like that. It wasn't necessarily like uh it wasn't necessarily um that like this represented a great tragedy. It just meant that this it was time for dinner and like, you know, you have to put your Legos away and there would be there would be more things. I mean, in fact, what the Joker does to uh Wayne Manor, right, by making it like Joker Manor is much more in line with actual Lego play where you like, you create something, keep adding stuff to it, and then finally make it ridiculous. You know, like, uh, you know, here's my secret lair that has, a, I don't know, a, a, a pancake fountain and a. a Ten, you know, cannons, or you know, I don't know, whatever you you wanted to outfit your your secret lair with. It may um, it may have been something different from mine, right? But that that is what actually playing playing with Legos, uh, uh, playing with Legos is like. Um, and so, like, I don't know, the 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 stakes is an interesting thing in this movie, and I think it has to do um, with this movie as a a rom com. Right, the worst thing that that could happen. Sorry, I went off mic for a sneeze there. The worst thing that could happen is not, it's not that the toys get broken. It's that the play could stop. Right, yeah. like in that the 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 kind of the the Batman Joker. Um, Uh, The Batman Joker sort of dyad could be like, could stop their kind of mutual productive antagonism, Uh, a way of playing that's less uh i don't know that's less like detente and more like a norse saga with like continual creative destruction um all the time but one that sort of continues continues forever or until one or both of them hits hits puberty right like did you guys uh, uh, parse this movie as a as a rom-com to to a certain extent i mean it's explicit in there but what were the dynamics of of this one um in uh in your view
1: I mean, it almost seemed like a Mrs. Doubtfire kind of movie where it's like a rom-com where the stakes are the children, right? Where it's like – it's about kind of like parents falling in love with each other in the context of raising children together but not in the context of being sexual beings, right? Like um, I'm trying to think of other movies that are like that. But you know what I'm talking about. Like there were a bunch of them in the mid-'90s. Um
4: so like right, because there they were kind of these like kind of post-divorce kind of yeah. uh, right? Uh, 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 rom-coms, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like post, Galaxy post, Quest post feels a bit
1: like it.
0: kramer versus Kramer rom-coms. Yeah, right?
1: like- <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, but yeah, this idea of like adults who become disenchanted with each other and their families getting together sort of for the sake of the children, but it also involves kind of empowering themselves to a degree. Uh, oh gosh what are some other examples because, of that
0: because yeah, batman had sort of like i said before he had kind of like parallel uh uh apotheosis that he needed yeah. to to sort of do one one had to do with like uh being a child and impulse control and delaying gratification and cooperation and the other had to do with a very adult uh sort of thing about sort of vulnerability and relationships and um uh, like, uh, learning to trust and learning to kind of let go and, and let other people kind of have a role in, in, uh, in his life, both both great. Li- Honestly, like the you know, I don't know. It, it, with Moana, right? It seems like all the all the the girl movies now are about striking out on your own as a solo adventurer and like what you can do with uh, uh, what you can do with grit, determination, and pluck. And and the uh, the boy movies, the little boy movies, are about like cooperation and um, uh, about cooperation, family, and and the importance of togetherness and. and vulnerability right like have, have no we, no batman is an island right <laughs> is what you're saying <laughs> yeah that, that uh that well uh, even if you may live on a metaphorical and literal, <laughs>
4: <laughs> literal <laughs> <Island>. <laughs> so i feel like
0: what one piece of
1: batman lore that's worth entering into the record because i feel like our people would expect us to is that they do miss one batman movie in this, in, I mean, I'm not, and I'm not talking about the black and white ones where Batman's riding on top of a train or, like, is on a biplane and is, like, uh, like wrestling somebody <laughs> in black and white. But there is no mention in the movie, which is interesting, of the 1993 theatrically released Batman Mask of the Phantasm, uh, which was, of course, a huge failure. <laughs> not a huge failure, a small failure. Um, but uh, I guess at all familiar with Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Which made a pretty, yeah, made a pretty strong play for a long time for being the best Batman movie. Uh, and, I mean, Christopher Nolan has somewhat put that to rest. But, but that's because it's based on the Batman animated series. So the, the story of the Adam West Batman uh, movie and the mask of the phantasm Batman movie are roughly similar in that they both coincided with the creation of the first season of their television show and they both kind of didn't really intend at first to be theatrical films but because of peculiarities of released uh, things you know release uh, schedules I think the Batman movie was made to promote the Adam West Batman show in Europe and mask of the phantasm is like a 76 minute long theatrical release that was rushed out of the, to the theaters in less than a year to promote the television show and as such is a little bit. Bit shoddy but um but the batman incarnation of the animated series cartoon mm-hmm. is i think worth considering with regards to sort of great batman portrayals and uh and also batman portrayals that have some degree of self-awareness right um well i mean i guess also it, it goes back to what and i feel like The stuff that rachel that you've been saying about the movie is is really i think the heart of of the 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 hinge on which like lego batman is connected to the other batmans which is there is a rejection of what is in batman the animated series and i'll I'll cut to the chase on it in batman animated series batman mask of the phantasm the big cliche about both of them is that you make them on black paper right they're cartoons drawn on black paper uh and, and that there's something about that that sort of inspires the project um And I don't see uh, and and that's something that the Lego Batman movie like openly mocks, right? Like makes fun of like everything has to be black, 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 right? And it's sort of a question of is that. Is that uh vanity? Right. Is it is it just about aggrandizing the emotional difficulties that young boys have in in not dealing with their surroundings with violence? Right. Is that really all that the black is about? Is it about like these these stages of development and they would be better off to discard the black? Um, or is there something about the black that's worth saying, right? and I feel like that that's not a question that has a an answer that was universal to all people um you know what I mean like I feel like i I feel like I would respond. To, to men who said, like, no, when I was a teenager and I was a little boy, like, Batman being black was really important to me. And I also, affects somebody else being like, it's just about teenagers and little boys, <laughs> right? Like, it's sort of like a way of diminishing it. I don't know. I, I, do any of you guys fans of either either Batman the Animated Series, Batman Masculine Phantasm, or the Bruce Tim Paul Denny Batman in the Justice League? Uh, like, Justice League Unlimited, Justice League Television Show, which is sort of like the longest running, and I think, uh, other than Christopher Nolan the greatest, like, um, and that's, uh, Kevin Conroy as Batman. Right? It was, the right. sure it greatest.
0: was, it was timed wrong for my animated TV watching, right? Mm-hmm. It, it timed wrong. Been, yeah. It was yeah. w- right. It didn't come out at the right time for my like peak animated TV watching.
3: So mm-hmm. I, I was a fan of the animated series. Um, but you know, it, unfortunately I haven't really watched it recently. My memory of the animated series was to me, it came off like, like noir, Right, and I often felt like what made it compelling was actually like I and, and you know part of me saying like there are never any stakes in Batman. Um, there are never at least any stakes about like Gotham or its safety mm. in my mind. To me, it's always about the, you know, like the the Batman and, and and I'm thinking the animated series. Like my overall memory of them is that like they play out kind of like horror movies or or like noir like it is like this psychological drama between the characters right it's this it's it's that everyone's like everyone in the in the scene is unhinged in some way or another and it's going to play out and that's like i think what's compelling Rather than, like, any... Because, like, you know, I I, I can't tell you, like, what it is that Two-Face was going to do or, like, Harley Quinn or, like, you know, for the most part, like, I don't remember or care. Like, the main, like, sense of foreboding and tension I felt was that they're, like, normally, like you said, they're in the black paper space, right? Mm. They're in that black paper space and, like, they're facing each other off and, like, there's a sense of, like, not knowing what will come out of that, like, black paper space encounter.
4: I mean, I think i of talking about kind of whether it's kind of madness or kind of psychological kind of interactions and and disturbance. I mean, I think it's correct me if I'm wrong, um but uh Harley Quinn um has her roots in Batman the animated series, yeah. right? And so I think that that kind of read and I think uh, really ties closely to that character, right? Um and and I think it is interesting now that we're in this kind of you know, we're in the year of like the great Harley Quinn resurgence, right? With you know, with <laughs> <laughs> Um, Rosé! You know, <laughs> exactly. Well, no, and there were some delightful Suicide Squad digs in this movie, right? And Right near the end, we're like, so wait, you're saying we're going to get all the bad guys together and they're going to be the good guys? That's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's, like, awesome. I mean, that, like, I mean, there, there was, like, in this, I mean, we talked a little bit about the meta and the humor. I mean, this gave like, Deadpool a run for its money as a, like, um, as a snarky self-aware superhero movie and did it with so much less violence and, and profanity right for better or for worse right? <laughs> mostly for better but
1: yeah
0: i don't yeah, know so, that's yeah. that's a yeah a, a a deadpool movie with with less obscenity is is a deadpool movie with one less pegging scene and i'm not sure <laughs> you know i'm not sure the world is, is really needs that well we should uh we should wrap it up on uh on this uh we should wrap it up on this trivial entertainment for children and get (laughs) (laughs) and get to the weighty uh and highly important uh oscar nominated uh film la la land don't you think
4: <laughs> Do we have to?
0: <laughs> no, I I want to hear. I want to hear what you uh, I'm I'm going to listen to what you guys have to say uh, even though I have nothing to uh to contribute myself. So let's uh let's all uh let's take a a short break and come back with our uh Oscar corner. Uh the best picture nominated film that we're talking about this this week is La La Land. <laughs> so it's oscar corner time people
1: and today we're going to talk about the odds on favorite for the best picture win which of course we don't know for sure but it seems like a strong contender La La Land. Now Rather has had to step away because La La Land hits too close to home for him and he has to go sing a duet with his barista and cry about his life choices. Aww. But let's start this conversation. <laughs> let's start this conversation with Ryan, who saw La La We all saw La Land. Mark, Ryan, and and, and Ryan's gonna tell us about the experience of seeing La La Land between two of us
4: yeah uh so I saw lava La land in Somerville Massachusetts uh, and I was seated between uh, Pete uh, was sitting to my right uh, and uh, Rachel D was seated to my left uh, and I um, what I what I learned very early on uh, and you guys can confirm this uh, is that neither Pete nor Rachel were enjoying the movie very much um, and so Pete expressed this you know Pete is a, is a I, I've seen many many movies with Pete uh, over the years uh, and I, I gotta say the body language was actually most reminiscent of when Pete and I saw Avatar together um, so many years ago. Um,
1: Another odds-on favorite for a lot of different sorts of recognition. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a, there's a through line there, um, and, and we can see what else La La Land and Avatar have in uh, have in common. But I, and the the one um, piece of body language that I take away was that was um, Pete's uh, feet and hips moving to one side, and the head and hand moving in the other direction, and kind of a a, a ponder head leaning in hand um, kind of towards <laughs> me um, uh, and just like like as if supporting a great weight um, and then for Rachel uh, Rachel was uh, observes uh, the the norms of movie decorum a little less seriously uh, and after the first um, the first uh, tap dance number with Ryan Gosling uh, and, um, and 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 Emma stone um, right I, I actually went through my mind I I actually so just I hesitated because I I said Rachel McAdam and then I said no and then I said Emma Watson and I said no and then I said Emma Stone and got it right. Um and so uh the first tap dance number uh Rachel leans over and says that was decidedly underwhelming. <laughs> uh, um and so and and then uh, there were several other kind of comments or remarks uh throughout. Um and so within this, um, I think the, the, interestingly, uh, the, the third piece of information, kind of background information, is you know because I am a contrarian, I then you know came to like the film because, <laughs> <laughs> because I was I was surra- uh, surrounded by uh, two uh, poles of, um, of, of of very obvious <laughs> dissatisfaction uh, with uh, with the film. But I don't know if you guys want to talk about. Did I did I read you right? Do I know you as well as I think you do, uh, as I think I do, and um, and and tell me a little bit more about how you experienced uh, the film that maybe led to uh, the signals that I picked up.
3: Well, I, you know. I, first of all, I just want to clarify, this was not like a running commentary on my part. <laughs> you made me sound like the rudest person on earth, right? I was not like, it was not a running, like, And a, you then know, she
4: threw her popcorn at the screen uh, and, yeah. and said, I'm going to see Singing in the Rain. <laughs> <laughs>
3: right, yeah. There was no, like, closed captioning for R- Rachel's, like, comments, like, snide comments. But, um... No, no, you, know, it you was, were
4: very polite. Yes,
3: I was very polite. I whispered. Um, But, yeah, no, I think... I definitely I, I definitely did I tried to come in with an open mind because it was not the kind of movie that I necessarily would have gone to see if not for the fact that it was so well regarded and so well reviewed um, and that it was you know like a, an Oscar favorite, right or it was it, it's said to be you know probably the the front runner uh, in the Oscars. So, you know, I really tried to, like, come in, like, with the sense of, like, Rachel, please don't be, don't be an ass. Like, don't let this, you know, let let yourself enjoy this movie. Like, try to find it enjoyable. And, you know, I think there are parts that I think if the movie had just been a movie, it had not (laughs) pretended to be a musical or even, like, a sort of musical um, of a certain, like, a, genre and style, I I might have liked it as a movie. But I, I just think, I think that just, it wasn't even committed to the project that purportedly said it was engaged, like it was doing, right? It wasn't even really committed to being an old-timey musical. And so once you're not like fully committed to doing that, just doing a little bit of it is pretentious and stupid. <laughs> but I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I mean fired. I mean, Pete, I don't know how you sort of went you know how you were feeling you know giving your like you know kind of the thinker irritated posture <laughs> <laughs> and what, you, what what your thoughts and feelings were as you were as you were watching this, but yeah, that was my i mean that's my big takeaway, yeah. but uh.
1: Yeah, My my head was leaning towards Ryan for some sort of explanation or consolation, and my feet were leaning towards my girlfriend for some sort of human contact to offer me some sort of comfort in time. I was was also torquing my way towards grinding my seat, hopefully through the floor, so I could plunge into the gut of this movie theater and not have to see the movie anymore no no, no. <laughs> Let me, I, I don't, i've talked before about how it's not entirely fair just to bash movies and i don't want to be 100 percent of a hypocrite so i will say this specifically and if you haven't seen la la land here's the sort of the the deal right the deal with la la land is that it is a movie about disenchanted young people living in hollywood who uh have dreams about being famous and or successful and or artists and or part of the kind of um, Hollywood story and myth, and that all these things are sort of different, right? All these things are kind of separate aspirations, and the, over the course of the movie, these aspirations kind of ebb and flow through a, a sort of, um, uh, I don't want to say mediocre, but like sort of a grounded and kind of um, not particularly fantastical romantic drama that's like pretty cut and dry, And then a, like, fairly fantastical CGI-heavy musical that stars famous people rather than musicians, right? (laughs) Rather than singers and dancers, right? And so it stars movie stars trying to sing a dance. So it's more like Moulin Rouge, right? Where it's not singers and dancers, right? Like, step step up to the streets, right? Where it's like, oh, Channing Tatum, actually, that would be step up one, right? Like, oh, this guy actually knows what he's doing. This girl knows what she's doing when she's dancing. No, they just taught other people how to dance. But but and the 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 thing is that um, and the reason that I was really sort of sagging through a lot of it is that for me the sort of uh, the sort of big. The big pie in the sky for what I look for in the aesthetic value of a movie is – especially a movie that makes a lot of kind of formal promises, like promises of form, is that the form of the movie and the function of the movie relate in some way. And and I look for elegant ways in which the form and function relate. It's the whole idea behind the Downton Abbey moment where like, oh, the conversation about the finger sandwiches is about everything that's happening in the episode. That's really cool. And I love I love things like Fast and the Furious uh, 7, right, where there's, like, unifying themes of the cars falling down from great heights, right, and death, right? Like, oh, that's really great. That's really artistic. La La Land makes a whole bunch of choices like this that have, like, you would think would have, like, really powerful uh, relationships with what's happening in the story or the people or the themes. And I just felt like it was constantly shifting – what it wanted to be about and what the relationship between the kind of presentationalist and more grounded aspects of the, of the movie were doing. And I just, in the end didn't really feel like the, the sort of stylistic choices of the movie were connected to, to anything substantial, right. And in, the, in, in the, in, and by substantial, I'm talking about something as small as like, the relationship between Dom and Letty, right? Like, I'm not saying that it has to be Schindler's List here, but like, I didn't feel that there was anything substantial in the movie that was consistently related to the choices that we're making about what to make, singing and dancing, right? Um, and the singing and dancing wasn't good enough to justify watching it on its own because it just because there's better movie musicals, right? And, and so, so, I mean, Mark, you you liked it more than all of us, right?
2: i enjoyed it quite a lot and not just to be a contrarian uh you know because the people sitting around me (laughs) didn't like it so uh i was not in the screening. i'll get back to
4: my opinion i have some actual opinions about the movie but i'll let you (laughs) go first
2: (laughs) all right so i was not at the screening in somerville massachusetts i saw it in new york with my wife um and both of us are devotees of musical theater i think it's fair to say um both on the stage uh, and on the screen and we both walked away from it and enjoyed it you know we 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 tap into the classics like singing in the rain and the rogers and hammerstein stuff and the more uh contemporary things right lest i lest you have forgotten we are among the coastal elites who have seen hamilton and we enjoyed it a lot um and i, I think we're both pretty comfortable with the vocabulary of the musical musical theater on the stage and as well as as how it is sort of trans uh transcribed and transmuted onto the onto the screen for movie adaptations and and what i'm hearing uh, is that sort of this tension this push and pull between uh the more uh sort of fantastical presentational things and the more grounded aspects of, of the movie just like uh, didn't work for the two of you and and the best that i can say right now and i'll hand it off to ryan to to build off on this perhaps is that, like i liked the tension um, i thought it provided something interesting something i hadn't seen before and the singing and dancing, though not amazingly technically profound, were good enough and uh, and uh, impressive at points to kind of elevate and take me to a different place. And, they, and the more grounded aspects of it, the relationship pieces between Ryan Gosling and M Stone, were uh, were really effectively done. Um, and, and sort of communicated like a, a, a great sense of pathos and emotion uh, to, 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 to add to my sort of investment into into the movie and, and, and the relationship. And so, you know, I, I point kind of to, uh, you know, I think about uh, the, the the polar opposites to this, right, you know, the, the kind of the, they're in love sequence, they go to the, 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 um, the, the observatory, and they're floating among the stars, and the music is swelling, and they're dancing, and then you have the more uh, grounded aspects of it when they're fighting in the apartment uh, because of the tension of of their relationship and uh and and i think it's that tension i i like that and uh i was kind of repeating myself but uh, i uh, i i thought that it enhanced both of those things so that's why i like the movie i agree that it's not like this like groundbreaking staggering work of genius or anything like that but i was just i i, I was really satisfied by it because of the tension which it seems like you guys didn't enjoy uh ryan does any of that relate to you uh, beyond bit. the sort of the contrarian piece that uh, that you <laughs> alluded to earlier,
4: yeah, I, I mean, I do think that um, there's a few things. So one is that I also connected a little bit with uh, I saw the musical numbers. Um, I, I like, like the one that you, the, the Griffith Park Observatory one, um, and also the first kind of flirtatious uh, tap dance one, um, and then uh, Emma Stone's big musical number near the end. I thought, and and this is, I thought these were especially effective cases of of um is that cuz i'm less of a music musical theater aficionado or even that um he, he, that I, I mean there are some musicals that I enjoy, but in general um it's not my kind of go to form and sometimes you know it, when i 'm the most snarky or cynical it 's like either <laughs> either make an album or or write a play um because you put these songs into this play, and the songs are um not necessarily in some musicals even you know great ones um playing this great kind of uh i guess doing um what what kind of Pete described as kind of uh of of kind of interacting kind of with the store having a functional um, role um, and so I thought. There were some interesting things here, where the combination of not just the music, but I think how the music and dancing interacted with the cinematography, so the actual moviness of the musical. Um, I thought uh, there were these moments where the the camera often moved, and I actually I, I know this is something that our viewing group debated. Of I actually tended tended to like some of the kind of close up, um, kind of camera, kind of uh, and, and kind of very tight movements of the camera within a space. Um, I know in the final musical number, um, the, I, I think the camera goes around her very slowly, um, that these kinds of, the way that the camera is also dancing, um, I feel like, did a lot to convey, right, this is a case where a, you know, a musical number is worth a thousand words, right? That the that, that kind of what was being was being com- um, communicated emotionally um, was by the combination of of music movement um, words and camera movement um, was more than kind of if you had written out that scene um, in the kind of romantic comedy or kind of rom- romantic drama. I think the the downside but the other thing that I liked about it, kind of expanding on that, uh, and but this is kind of going to damn, not exactly damn with f- faint praise, but that. <laughs> the, the, uh, the, I like this because I once took um, a single film studies class in freshman year of college, <laughs> and, and 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 like, and I'm pretty sure that Damien Chazelle, the d- director of this, did too, uh, um, because all of those. It's like, oh, he watched a Renoir movie and saw how Renoir moves his camera to like create space and emotional connection between characters, um, and like, uh, oh, there's like this, and and then it was very it was a very like i'm i've watched it, it it was and you see this sometimes in um another director that i think does a lot of this kind of like like, very kind of showy nods to kind of film technique is Wes Anderson. Um, but this was, I like this a lot less than I like um, like the Wes Anderson uh, films um, that I, I like a lot. Like, uh, Rachel I recently watched Grand Budapest uh, Hotel, um, I think Wes Anderson's most recent feature. And it's just like the kind of what it achieves kind of emotionally, artistically, is it leagues beyond um, this because I, I do think that there is this sense of, again, there, there's a name. I think there is an ambition here to marry Chazelle's um, love of film um, of jazz music, right? I mean, he's the director, writer um, director of Whiplash, so, um, and and he was a jazz drummer in high school, and sort of loves, m- and, and his first movie um, was also a, a musical. Um, Guy and Madeline on a Park Bench was <laughs> described as a mumblecore musical, right? So a kind of indie, like a <laughs> I mean, you know, very indie DIY um, musical. So I think he there, that there is this kind of deep love of these and and where it works and where it's connecting, it's drawing on those forms. Um, but I think that there is a little bit of this kind of I took I took a film class pretentiousness yep. there.
1: And, and you know what, Ryan, this was something that I felt pretty strongly watching the movie, which was I also agreed that I felt like the director of the movie was showing us things that he liked, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and that this is generally not this is not necessarily a problem in and of itself. The issue with it was that by making the characters artists the implication is that the things that we're seeing are things that they like hmm. right and they even they even come out and say it a bunch of times like oh i like i watch this movie i like you know the griffith's observatory is a big thing in a bunch of old movies terminator. Oh, I watched, what's up including terminator Inter- yeah. <laughs> including terminator right and, and i felt like as the movie went on we realized that ryan gosling character really doesn't care about movies and emma stone's character also doesn't really care about movies she cares about theater and storytelling right and so the only person left who actually cares about these old movies and these movie musicals is the director and, <laughs> mm. and I felt like he was sort of like it was sort of like a third wheel situation which maybe is, <laughs> it's sort of like how I felt with avatar too where it's like well you see you've got uh, uh, you see, I even forgot his name James Worthington is that Sam Sam Worthington you got Sam Worthington you've got Sam Worthington is a cat robot then you've got uh, and <laughs> the, you've got uh the girl, I forgot who that was also, and her is a cat robot, and then James Cameron is just like sitting there watching them make out as cat robots.
4: <laughs> and it's just, like, just like a long man in this
1: situation. Now now cat kiss. <laughs> and now cat kiss. Exactly. It's like, okay, now float into the sky and dance while I watch. Right. It's just like, I don't want to be part of this. I'm not invited to this party. Well, and then
3: <laughs> like that like long montage sequence at the very end of the film was like him not getting the hint that like Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling's characters want to go to bed, and like they, they would kindly like him to leave their house now <laughs> for oh, the night. It's getting pretty late. Uh, we're pretty tired. <laughs> so, no, I'm good to keep hanging
4: out. Like.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so let me let me jump in here and uh, and point to something that uh, ties to this, and I guess kind of uh, summarizes like what I liked and disliked about this movie, um, which is that okay, so there's just a bit of a disconnect you're mentioning right in between uh, Ryan Gosling and, uh, and Emma Stone's characters. that not big fans of the movies but uh this uh movie uh la la land is still uh part of the the series of prestige movies that is very concerned about the movies themselves right and uh and you can say it is broadly concerned about the artistic project in general and the value of artists and things like that right and um i i I appreciate that in movies like you know not every single movie has to be like that um and I, I thought it was rather effective in kind of uh communicating that uh, that sense of uh you know the, the elevated sense and the, the magic of movies um, but uh in retrospect like it 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 even though Ryan Gosling and Emma stone's characters aren't so invested in it uh it, it the movie still manages to beat you over the head with it in one very particular part, which is the the, the last the, one of the last songs in the movie the audition sequence right um Emma Stone's character sings a line a bit of madness is key to give us new colors to see. Who knows where it will lead us, and that's why they need us. So bring on the rebels, the ripples from Pebbles, the painters and poets and plays, so on and so forth. Um, and that's why they need us. Uh, 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 and I, I, it sums up right there like this is what this movie is trying to do. This is what its statement. This is what it's trying to say, but – Man, that's really how you said it there. Like it's like uh, it's it just it felt a little bit. Um, I don't know what, know what the right word is, but uh, coming on rather strong. You
4: know, self-congratulatory. Kudos yeah.
2: to you? Yeah. Who yeah. you for
1: remembering even one line of lyrics from that entire movie.
2: Well, I mean, to, to, to yeah. the to the point earlier, like I really enjoyed it. I listened to the music a lot uh, coming out of it, right? Just sort of an uh, aesthetically pleasurable soundtrack. Uh, of music that I like, the combination of jazz and the musical theater thing. And uh, and that line in particular stuck with me because it's a powerful moment of music and singing, despite of what you might think about Emma Stone's pipes. Um, uh, but lyrically, like, it has that uh, self-congratulatory aspect, which is, like, doesn't doesn't quite sit well with me uh, with the, with about a month's distance of having seen the movie.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, I do think, uh, you know, I, I do think, yeah, the movie is, like, hollywood congratulating hollywood
4: well that's why it's so important i mean yeah i, right. I think I, I remember like <laughs> we walked out and i said like that movie is like if hollywood went through the john malkovich door into its own head uh, and, and it's just like hollywood 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 Hollywood.
3: <laughs> yeah no and and then like kindly like life like gave it a nice like light hand job <laughs>
1: <laughs> the other thing was that the people in, in la la land despite supposedly their lives being so hard have are better off both financially and personally than like most people in the country, right? Which is not the story that you usually get from the starving artist story, right? It's like imagine a movie that was just like this except all she did was work in the coffee shop It's not a tragedy, right? Like, oh, I met this nice jazz musician and we fell in love for a little bit, but then we didn't. And then I married a different guy and it was okay. It all worked out because we're adults, right? Like you don't (laughs) even need for them to be actors, right? Like it's, um, there's no urgency to their desire to create because they're too comfortable, right? Uh, at least relative to kind of the state of being. I think one of the big reasons that La La Land is an Oscar contender is because it is, uh, it is more optimistic about how things are going generally than the tone of the country is right now. Uh, and people want that and they crave that because they want to think that movies can make you think that everything is better. I don't know. But I shouldn't bash it entirely. There's a lot going on about it. I mean, let's go through it. Who, would, who are the people that you would like to thank who are in this movie or related to this movie in some way? I, I personally would like to thank John Legend for just really dedicating his uh, professionalism and musicianship to this movie, which was a movie that condescended to him and his art a little bit. But thank you to John Legend for putting in some great work.
4: Uh, uh, I'd like to thank J.K. Simmons uh, for being just an absolute delight uh, every time that he uh, every time that he steps onto I, I, a stage I, I, or a screen. I'd like to
2: thank Birdman for getting Emma Stone into serious prestige pictures. I'd like to uh, uh, mark Mark. Who are you going to thank? I'd also like to thank Birdman for making this movie seem a lot better uh, than it probably actually was because it compared a lot to Birdman and it compared. And i like like the person movie. who made
0: Hey guys, I'm back. Did I miss anything? Nope. <laughs>
2: yes, You missed
0: a wonderful tale of
2: love and art and love lost and art gained and, and, and song and dance and music. and. Okay.
0: Hey, thanks, guys, for uh, doing the Oscar corner with La La Land. Uh, thanks very much for a great discussion of the Lego Batman movie. And uh, thanks to Pete for his members-only reflection uh, on John Wick Chapter 2. You can find that if you are a member in the Digital Library section in the Members area. Uh, of overthinking it and if you're not you can become a member uh, by going to overthinkingit.com slash join and joining at the well actually level or above we'll be back next week with more overthinking it podcast till then visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny
2: it It probably probably doesn't doesn't deserve. deserve City of Stars. Are you shining just for me?
4: No, they're shining for me. Who are you? I'm Batman. (laughs) You ever tap
1: dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
2: That's
1: it. (laughs)